You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. We're in this series called A House of Prayer, and I want to do a little, a little bit of a quiz as it relates to, to housing. Which kind of a house would you like to live in? I'm going to put two houses on the screen here. Do you want to live in house number one, or do you want to live in house number two? So just sort of decide in your head. Some, I already see some confused looks because you're saying, okay, Ted, that's the same house. Like, couldn't you t- make the extra effort to actually have two different pictures? In fact, Ted, that house, that's just the background image for the House of Prayer logo. Uh, what do you, well, let me share you with a little more detail about house number one as it relates to house number two. House number one hasn't had a working furnace for the last 15 days. How many choose house number one? How many choose house number two? I think you want to be in house number two. I think it's quite clear that it doesn't matter if if the house looks the same on the outside, that, that what you want is you want a furnace, especially in the kind of winter we've been having, you need a furnace. You see... A furnace in your house is like prayer in the church. It may not be visible. It's not the first thing you notice when you walk into someone else's house. It may not be visible, but loved ones, it's vital. It may not change. The furnace in the house doesn't really change the appearance of the house. I mean, both houses look exactly the same. It doesn't change the appearance, but it sure does change the atmosphere. Listen to what uh, Leonard Ravenhill had to say about uh, prayer in the church. He said, Let the fires go out in the boiler room of the church, and the place will still look smart and clean, but it will be cold. The prayer room is the boiler room for its spiritual life. Now, we don't have a church building. We don't have a prayer room. We don't have a furnace, but we do have prayer. And a church can look great. It can, have the, it can have people, it can have programs, it can have plans, all of these things. But if it doesn't have prayer, it, it may look the same, but there's something missing. There's something in the atmosphere that is not glorifying to God, that is not a place of warmth, that is not a place where people want to set down Roots. And so what we are going after today is praying that we would be a church of prayer, that we would be a church that is continually growing. And so we're going to look at a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And we're going to see how Paul prayed that this church would be a growing church, growing in the kinds of ways that glorify God. Verse 9, he says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, as we 
seek to, to, to come to an understanding of this passage, I just want to share with you a little bit of my homework as I was studying this passage and reading it over for the last uh, several weeks. So here's the passage as, a, uh, as it appears in your Bible. And what I want to zero in on is a, a, a word just in the, that first verse, the word that. Uh, that is a, a translation of the Greek word uh, hina. And, and a, a hina clause or, or a sentence or a part of a sentence that follows the Greek word hina, that is giving an explanation. It is, it is giving the bottom line. And so when Paul says, it is my prayer that hina, he's saying, this is what I'm praying for. And so this is how you might wonder, well, how do we end up with you know, three sermon points or four sermon points or two sermon points? It's these kinds of things. It's not just that I pick you know, my three favorite words. And that's how a sermon comes together. No, we pay attention to, to the grammar, to the structure, to the, to, to the way that Paul lays it out. So hidden in our English translations, though, there's another hina. That word, it's translated in English, uh, so. And so these two hina clauses, these two explanations, they are, this is Paul saying, these are the two ways that I am praying for you. And so if we were to divide out this passage, it would look something like this. It is my prayer, Hina, that your love may abound more and more. That's the first, his first prayer. And then Hina, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. And so there are two things that Paul wants to see grow. One is love. He wants it to grow more and more. And then also fruit. Fruit is, is, is evidence of growth. And then the purpose of the growth is for the glory and praise of God. And so that's going to shape sort of the three points for today's uh, message. So you can jot down in your notes today before we get going here that, that we need to be praying first and foremost for more love in our hearts. We need to be praying for more love in our hearts. Paul's prayer was that this church would grow and that they would grow more love in their hearts. So he, he tells them there that, that, that it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. You see, the status quo was not what Paul was going after. He didn't just want them to remain where they were. He didn't want them to simply plateau. He, he didn't want them to get complacent or, or smug or self-satisfied in the amount of love that they already had. Paul wanted that love to increase, to constantly be growing and growing. He uses words like abound and more and more. You see, this is our mission as a church. Our, our mission statement is up on the, the banners every, every Sunday at the front here. Our, our mission is to glorify God through fulfilling the Great Commission. That's making disciples. But then our mission statement also says how we're supposed to do that. Or, or what is the atmosphere that is supposed to be in our church while we're doing that. That we would be loving God and loving our neighbor. And so we want to grow the number of disciples by sharing our faith and teaching and training people to, to follow Jesus. But we want to do it in a way where love is growing. Our love for other people is growing. Our love for God is growing. It's interesting here that when Paul says, I pray that your love may abound, he, he doesn't say your love for God. He doesn't say your love for one another. He just says your love, love in general Beginning, first and foremost, with our, with our vertical relationship with God. We love because he first loved us. And then from our love from God flows love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love for our family. Love for the lost. Love for our neighbor. So that's what Paul is asking would, that, that would happen. Now, 
He, he uses the word uh, uh, abound, that our love may abound. I was thinking uh, about the, the, English word, uh, the, the English word abound as I was studying this week. It's, uh, bound means uh, boundaries or limits. You, you tie something up, you bind it, it's, it's bound, or you have a, a boundary for, for a game you, to step out of bounds. But then ah means uh, no, like, like an atheist, an atheist believes there's no God. And, and so to abound means there's no boundaries, that we would have a love that knew no boundaries. You see, we continually set up boundaries for ourselves. The, the parable of the Good Samaritan, that story that Jesus told, f- flowed out of a conversation with someone who was trying to define the boundaries. Who's my neighbor? Where should my love stop? What is the farthest edge of of the person that I am obligated to help? And then Jesus said, no, there's no boundaries by by telling that incredible story of how the Samaritan helped the person that that was wounded on the way to Jericho. And so, loved ones, we need to be praying that God would be pushing love out of us beyond the boundaries that we tend to set up. Beyond the boundaries of our comfort zone. Can we just uh, show our appreciation right now for the people who are serving out in the parking lot today? Like I, I don't think that was comfortable for any of them. I, I don't think when they went to bed and they heard how much the temperature was going to be dropping uh, overnight, I, I don't think they were like, oh, yippee, I'm in the parking lot. It was out of there, but the, their, their love went beyond the boundaries of what they would prefer to do on Sunday morning. And are we, just even thinking about parking, in the way that we're treating our parking lot attendants, in the way where we're choosing to park, are we going beyond the boundaries? Or or are we just going within the boundaries of, I want to be as close to the school as possible? Or are we going outside of those boundaries and thinking about, I want visitors to have their first experience, and I already love this church. So I don't need a good parking spot to, uh, to, to, to in, enjoy my experience here. I already, you know what, and I also love the elderly and the people with young families in this church, so I'm actually going to park and in a further spot to create more room for those people who would actually benefit so greatly from being able to park there. Going out, it's such a simple thing, but just going outside of the boundaries that we tend uh, to set up. How about going beyond the boundaries of people that we would normally not relate to? What if Harvest Bible Chapel Brampton would be the kind of church that loved people beyond the boundaries? You know, you just you, 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 you scroll the, the, the headlines in the news and things that world leaders are saying and, and things that... that people in the media are saying that the boundaries are being reinforced, the walls are being built up again, and it seems like the people who want to hate are emboldened to express that hate. And it, it's putting everyone sort of on edge. And could we be a church that is crossing the, the boundaries that our world wants to set up, the, the boundaries but. but The boundaries between races. Could we be a church 
When we're worshiping together, may we cross those boundaries. May we be eager to show love to people who have a different background from us, to affirm them, to treat them like an image bearer, like a brother and sister in Christ. And when we're outside the walls of, 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 of this church gathering, may we be used by God to show love to people who would not be expecting us to show love to them. You see, God loved us beyond the boundaries. We had, a, we had a, a pretty big wall between us and him called sin. And God's love broke through that boundary. His love abounded towards us. And Paul prays, and we need to pray this for us, because this can only happen supernaturally, that we would be able to love people beyond boundaries, that our love would abound more and more. But I want to be clear here, and Paul's clear here, that when he's talking about love being more and more and having it abound, he's not just talking about love being in some sort of nebulous form that really has no end and no beginning and is just sort of wishy-washy floating in every direction. No, notice what he says. He says that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. And so knowledge and discernment help shape what love is supposed to look like. No, no boundaries doesn't mean that, that love is, 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 has, has no shape or no direction. Because knowledge and discernment is supposed to inform that love. One of my favorite scholars and commentators um, is an Englishman named um, J. Alec Mateer. And this is what he said as it relates to this passage. He says, the growing point for the Christian, as Paul discerns it, is love. A seed from which he anticipates vigorous growth as it abounds more and more. Its upthrusting shoots are received and held by two stakes, knowledge and discernment. When your municipality chooses to plant a, a tree on your lawn, they, they plant the tree and then they put two stakes up. When you uh, set up a, a tomato plant, you, you have a, a trellis set up to support the growth. You want maximum growth. And in order to have maximum growth, you've got to have some structure to it. So what, ma, 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 what Mateer highlights, what Paul is describing here, is that love is like this plant and he wants it to grow. But in order for it to grow, there's two stakes that are put into the ground to kind of stabilize our love. It's knowledge and discernment. And so if we're going to grow in love, if we're going to be praying that we would grow in love, we need to pray the way Paul prayed. Because he prayed that that love would grow with knowledge. And knowledge there is reminding us that love grows by learning. Love grows by learning. So if you're taking notes today, you can jot uh, that down. The more you love someone or something, the more you're going to want to learn about that person or that topic. And the more you learn, then the more you love. Lindsay and I were married on July the 5th, 2003. On our wedding day, my heart was filled with so much love for my beautiful bride on that day. And I had learned some things about her. I, 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 I had knowledge. I had, I had understanding of who she was. And that informed my love for her. And I felt on that day, I felt like, how could I love her anymore? 
But my love for her caused me to want to learn about her. And then the more that I learned about her, the more that I loved her, which caused me to want to learn more about her, which caused me to love her all the more. And that is how our love has grown for one another. Love grows by learning. And so if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you love God the Father who created all of this, then that love should draw us to want to learn more about Him, to read our Bibles regularly, to pray to Him, so that the, the relationship would grow, Him communicating to you and you communicating to Him. Love grows by learning. And uh, our, our marriage has had uh, ups and downs, but I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that, that, that our love has grown to the point that it has. We, have, we know that there's so much room for us to grow, so much more even after living with one another in, in, in the context of marriage for a decade and a half. There's still so much that we need to learn about one another. There's still so much that, that ways that we can learn to love one another. But listen... Our marriage didn't get to that point by spending, you know, one day a week, 90 minutes with each other. And so, uh, our marriage didn't grow just by, just by getting together on a weekly basis. In the same way, your relationship, your love for God, your learning of who God is, is not going to grow if Sunday morning worship is all you have going in your relationship with God. It's going to require your, your entire life. It's going to require intentionality of learning and getting to know Him and loving Him. And so we're about 14 days into this new year. And how's that been going for you? Maybe it's time to make you know, a re-resolution or another resolution, a commitment to, you know what, I'm going to be more faithful and consistent in my Bible reading. And here's the plan that I'm going to follow. I'm going to read this book that I know is going to help me better understand who God is or what it means to follow Him. Because love grows by learning. And so that's what we're going to be praying about tonight. But Paul doesn't just want them to be filled with all of this head knowledge. He says, he, says the, he puts the one stake in the ground, which is knowledge, but on the other side is discernment. D -d discernment means to, to truly understand. And then he unpacks what he means uh, by discernment. In verse 10 he says, so that you may approve what is excellent. The word approve means to test by trial. To actually try it out. To, to, to live out your faith. So love, love grows by learning, but also make note of this, love grows by living. So there's a place for Christian instruction, but then there's also a place for Christian experience. That we are supposed to be living out what we believe on a daily basis. So that we would be able to approve what is Excellent. That, that, that word approved to be tested by trial, that's really important. You know, a bunch of Canadian Olympians are getting ready to, to go and represent our country in the uh, Winter Olympics. And they, they don't get to the Winter of Olympics just by, just by writing their name down on a list. They don't get to be Olympians just by, you know, having someone stand there and look at them and say, Yeah, you look like you'd be pretty fast. No, they're tested by trial, aren't they? 
They're, 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 there's a stopwatch, and they got to ski down the hill as fast as they can. they got to get into that bobsled and, and run it down the track. They, they, they've, they've got, they're tested. They're, they're tested on a provincial level. They're tested on a national level, and they're going to be tested before the world. It's tested by trial. In the same way, we aren't just supposed to take this knowledge and just say, oh, yeah, it's good to know. I learned some things about God. No, we are supposed to be living it out. And so, loved ones, one of, the ways, one of the ways that you can be sure that you're living it out, listen, hearing, hearing a sermons on Sunday morning, that helps with learning. And doing your own Bible reading, that also helps with, with learning. But we are a church that's committed to connecting with one another in the context of small groups. And what small group does is it helps us with the living part. It helps us test things by trial. It helps us approve what is excellent. You see, I mean, in, in a message like this, I, I, I don't know everybody in this room. I know a lot of you, but I don't know every single person. I don't know every single situation or struggle that you're going through. So I can't help you apply God's word right now to your specific situation that you're facing. And your own personal Bible reading sometimes too, we, we, we might know what our situation is and we might know what the Bible says, but we need someone to actually help us to take steps to apply it. And what small group allows us to do, it's a small enough group where we can look at the Bible and then we can explain what's happening in our lives and then uh, another believer can speak into our lives and say, yeah, now that I've heard your story, now that I've heard what you're going through, here's, here's what obedience to this passage would actually look like. And so we're going to be praying that we would be a church that's growing in our learning, that's growing in our living. A church, we're going to be praying for our small groups, that, we would, that more people would join and that there would be more intentionality and growth for God's glory in that area. So love grows by learning, love grows by uh, living. One more thing about living, look at Hebrews chapter 5 verse uh, 14. The author of Hebrews says, but solid food is for the mature. And then he's going to define what maturity is. The mature person isn't just the person who has all the verses memorized, who has read all the books. No, this is who the mature person is. For those who have their powers of discernment trained, notice this, by constant practice. By living out what they believe to distinguish good from evil. To be able, and just as Paul says, to approve what is excellent. And so that's what God is, uh, wants for our church. That's what we're going to be praying about. Love growing by learning and growing by uh, living. Then in the, the middle of uh, verse 10, Paul says, And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And that and so that's the second hinna. That's his second prayer point. The second thing that he's praying for in the church of Philippi. The second thing we're going to be praying about for the church here in Brampton. We're going to be praying for more fruit in our lives. More fruit in our lives. And so if we're to follow this uh, passage um, follow the, the, the analogy of love being this plant that is growing. You have, 
You have love that's growing with knowledge and discernment, but then as love grows and the tree develops, it's like the branches and the leaves, that's to be pure and blameless. That's the, that's the kind of life that we're trying to live. That's the second part of what Paul is praying about. And then the ultimate conclusion is that as we live lives that are pure and blameless, fruit of righteousness is produced. And so that's the flow that Paul is following. It begins with this idea of being pure and blameless. Blameless means to be authentic, to be genuine, to be sincere, to, that there's no mixture, there, there's no mixed motives, that, 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 that there's a sincerity and an authenticity about the way that we live. And the word pure, in Greek it's actually a compound word. It's, it's the word for sun, Helios, and it's the word for judgment, krinos. It, it's, it's those two words uh, put together. And so, it, so he's saying that you would be pure, that you would be sun judgment, judged by the sun. What does it mean to be judged by the sun? Well, you know, when we, when we clean our glasses and we want to make sure we did a good job, what do we do? We te- we, we, oh, I didn't do a good job. We, we test it by the light, don't we? When we're doing laundry and we have, you know, a white blouse or a dress shirt and someone spilled coffee or tea on it and it comes out of the laundry, it looks like, it looks clean, right, when it's still wet, but then we take it and we hold it up out and we see that there's still that, that, that faded brownish yellow mark there because we've tested it by the light. And so what Paul is saying here is, uh, is that we need to be living lives that are in the light, that are willing to be tested by the light. This is something that the, the Apostle John really zeroed in on. First John chapter 1 verse 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John's saying, we've got to be in the light. To live lives of purity means to invite the light into our lives. That nothing is hidden. So thinking about living in the light, living with purity as it relates to our eyes. Are there things that are coming before our eyes on our devices or our computer screens or our television screens that we're wanting to keep in the dark? That if, if, if those things were brought to light and if our grandmother were looking over our shoulder or if someone with a, with a, with a video camera, with a, with a live feed to social media were looking over our shoulder... Would we want to immediately cover that up and get that in the dark? Are there things that are coming out of our mouths about other people that if tape recorded and replayed or if put on the pages of the Toronto Star in quotes with your name beside it, would you want to quickly cover up? Or are we looking at things that we are fine with being exposed to the light? Are we saying things that we are fine to be exposed to the light? Nothing to hide. 
And this isn't, when he's talking about being pure and blameless, this isn't the idea of being absolutely perfect. But it's a willingness to allow the light to shine in your life. A, a willingness, as, as Pastor Ryan Fullerton has, uh, so beautifully described uh, two weeks ago when he was preaching here, the, the willingness to, to allow people to see that we're not perfect. To, to be painted, warts and all. To allow it all to come to the light. Because if fruit is going to grow, it has to grow in the light. Only mushrooms grow in the dark and no one likes mushrooms. Fruit grows in the light. So to be pure and blameless, you are creating the context, creating the environment for fruit to grow. And then he defines really the motive for this purity and this blamelessness. He says, to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Because Christ is coming. And so what he's praying about for, for this fruitfulness is that we would be ready for the return of Christ, ready for the return of Christ. You see, it's not just that it would be embarrassing or that we would feel shame if, if, people, if other people saw what we were looking at on our screens or saying with our mouths. We need to be living in the constant reminder that Christ sees it all. He's described in the book of Revelation as having eyes like fire. His eyes are like lights that, that see through everything, all of our excuses and all the things that we try to hide. He sees it all. So we need to be ready for the return of Christ. He uses that phrase, for the day of Christ. And Paul is praying for something that he knows will already happen. Because if you look at chapter 1, verse 6, a little earlier, it says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's the day, the day of Christ, the day of Jesus Christ. Paul knows that God's begun a work in them. He's going to carry it to completion. And so he's confident in God's promise, and he believes that it's going to happen, focused on the return of Christ. So much of how to live a pure life, there's so much teaching on that in the book of 1 John. I already mentioned about living in the light. Look at what John says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Talking about the return of Christ, when He appears. But notice this, everyone who thus hopes. We don't, we don't so often every day insert the word thus into our, uh, into our everyday vocabulary, but when he's saying thus, he said, everyone who hopes in this way, in the way that I just described, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So the purity comes from hoping and knowing that Christ is coming back. And so Paul's prayer is that they would look forward to the return of Christ, but he also prays that they would look backward, backward to what Christ had already done for them. Verse 11 says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. 
So we're ready for the return of Christ, but also make note of this. We're rooted in the righteousness of Christ. Rooted in the righteousness of Christ. This fruit doesn't come from us. This fruit is fruit that comes from righteousness. Well, where does the righteousness come from? The righteousness comes right there. It's right there in black and white. The righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. And so even the righteous deeds that we do, the fruit, the the good deeds that we do, all of that can be traced back to its ultimate source, which is Jesus Christ. And uh, I believe what Paul is talking about here is the imputed righteousness, to use a, a theological term. The, the, the fact that every Christian, when they place their faith in Jesus Christ, that they are justified, that God has declared them to be righteous. I believe that when we get our eyes on the fact that we have been justified and we don't need to earn our way to heaven by good deeds, knowing that actually produces the fruit of good deeds in our lives. You see, when Paul talks about righteousness, turn over to chapter 3, verse uh, 9 of of um, of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. It talks about, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. You see, when a person places their faith in Jesus, they look back to the cross, to what Jesus did for them on Uh, On Good Friday, when he suffered and died on the cross, what happened in that moment was that our sin was put on Jesus. And Jesus took the blame and the punishment for our sin. He was punished instead of us. He was treated the way we deserve to be treated. That's one part of the gospel, one part of the good news. The second part is that his righteousness, his 33 years of sinless perfection, was then counted to us. That is the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And when we understand that, not only was Jesus treated the way we deserve to be treated, but now because of the cross, we will be treated the way Jesus deserves to be treated. And and we will be treated and rewarded as though we had lived the life that Christ lived. As Christ was treated and rewarded as though he lived the life we lived and that sent him to the cross. Christ went to the cross so that we could go to heaven. And when you truly understand that, when you truly understand the gospel, that produces the fruit of righteousness. That produces the fruit of living a life, being loving, being caring, being sincere, going above and beyond, approving what is excellent, all of these things that the Apostle Paul is praying will happen. So much of the Christian life, simply comes from looking forward, ready for the return, from looking backward, rooted in his righteousness. So much fruit comes in the Christian life by simply looking at Jesus, by simply keeping your focus on him. And that's why it's crucial that we come and pray tonight, that we come together and we pray, we pray that we would have our eyes on him. So we're going to be praying for more love in our hearts and for more fruit in our lives. And then lastly, we're going to be praying for more glory to our God. For more glory to our God. He sums it up at the very end. He says, to the glory and praise of God.
And Paul, very wisely here, rescues us from thinking that he would somehow be praying for our own self-improvement for self-improvement's sake. If you want to try to be a better person, I mean, I mean, good for you. There's nothing really wrong with that. But there is a deeper, more significant motive to, to, to grow as a person, to grow as a church, to grow in love, to produce more fruit, not so that we can congratulate ourselves, but so that we would do it for the glory of God. And I already mentioned our mission statement today. The, 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 first, the first phrase of our mission statement is that we exist to glorify God. That is why we are here. Making disciples, loving God and our neighbors, those, are, those all flow from the ultimate motivation of bringing glory to Him. And that's what we're going to pray, pray about tonight, that God would be glorified in us as a community and in our lives as individuals. And so let's pray to that end now. Let's bow our heads together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be a people of prayer. Father, I pray that there would be an atmosphere among our church that simply goes beyond the way things appear. That there would be such power and such purity among your church that when unbelievers would come, that they would be amazed to see, Lord, the, the love that exists among the brothers and sisters, that they would be amazed at the love that they are receiving from people in this church as they visit with us, as they interact with us, God. I pray that you would fill us with an awareness of your love for us and that that would overflow, that we would love beyond boundaries, that our love would abound for your glory. So God, we pray that you would do this. We pray that you would be glorified in our midst as we, as we rely on you, as we turn to you. So God, we ask that we would be a people of prayer. We ask that we would be a people who are characterized by these things, this kind of love, this kind of fruit, this kind of glory going to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.